The Charlotte Hornets are taking a look at a couple of other head coaching candidates. Then we springboard on to the next batch of player capsules. We also take a look at an NBA draft prospect at the end. All today on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. It's Locked On Hornets. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free. We're available on all platforms. That includes YouTube. So check us out on Twitter as well at Walker Mail, at Doug Branson, LOH, and the show handle on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. We have a couple of coaching candidates that have also been named to Mike D'Antoni, Kenny Atkinson, Sean Sweeney, a couple of those guys we talked about yesterday. We'll also look at uh, Jeremy Sohan with... Um, with Drake Toll, who uh, talked about that of the Locked On Baylor podcast. So that's going to be fun to talk about that later on as well. And then we'll springboard onto the player capsules where basically it's like the rest of the team. (laughs) We're going to be looking at, we looked at three guards, James Booknight, uh, LaMelo Ball and Terry Rozier. And now we're going to all of the forwards. So a lot to get to there. Um, Still a lot of content here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast with everything going on with this franchise. Let's start with the head coaching search again here, Doug, because a couple of other players were named yesterday. Adrian Wojnarowski, he reported, quote, ESPN sources, the Charlotte Hornets received permission to interview two more head coaching candidates, Milwaukee assistant Charles Lee and Brooklyn assistant David Vanterpool. Uh, David Vanterpool was also interviewed the first go around when the Hornets were looking, and he's kind of been an interesting assistant coach name that's been thrown out there before. Anything uh, that you want to share about your thoughts on those two names being added to the pool? I think these are two uh, great names. I'm glad the Charlotte Hornets are casting a wide net and bringing a a lot of folks in. I I think David Vanterpool interviewed with the Charlotte Hornets the last time they had a head coaching position. I'm not sure, you know, if anything's changed in those four years that would weight their decision towards Vanterpool. I just ultimately, I just really have a hard time believing that the Charlotte Hornets are going to trust LaMelo Ball and the future of this burgeoning playoff team to a first-time head coach I just I just don't believe that's going to happen if it does I'll be shocked this yeah, will, I mean, I'll we, give you my shocked face that'll be what no, that's whoa no that that would be shocked I I could tell you were really shocked there yeah it, it's just some we disagree on that like I I, I would like it especially with Vanterpool because he was credited with a lot of the success that Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum had up with the Portland trailblazers. And I would love to see what he could do with LaMelo. I think that would be awesome. And I think Damian Lillard, and he always talks about Vanderbilt needing to have that job, needing to have that next step as a head coach would love to see it here in Charlotte, Charles Lee, kind of the same thing with Darvin ham, except on a lower level where he's been with Mike Budenholzer for a while now. So I, I mean, I'm interested, maybe not as much as Darvin ham because he's been a guy towards the top of a lot of people list for the last few years now we'll see i don't i i think that that darvin ham situation you know i think that's going to be one where the hornets might be out of that conversation even if they wanted to be in that conversation i was looking at some odds from our friends at bet online and it looks like darvin ham is the leader in the clubhouse the favorite to possibly get that lakers job uh which you know I think there's an argument that yeah, the Charlotte Hornets. That's a, that's a good. Well, as an organization, you know, if you if you want to go into an organization that is a, a fundamentally sound, that is not going to be filled with a lot of drama, if that's your priority, then Charlotte would be the place to be. 
Uh, but if, you know, Lakers, that's still a prestige organization. It's still a prestige job. And Darvin Ham might like that challenge. Yeah, I, I'd be interested to see what Darvin Ham wants to do. The problem is, man. Right, and just, you got a couple of Hall of Famers, too, and LeBron James and, and Anthony and, Davis, so that and, helps. And that's true, but it's well documented. LeBron is going to go play with Bronny and wherever he goes. Like, LeBron even said it, so I don't know how many more years you have with him. And we know how much you were right about the Lakers now being a dumpster fire, especially behind the scenes with their personnel decisions. Like you even had Frank Vogel needing to run his decisions by upper management on who to play and who to sit and Vogel wanted out of there. I don't know why you would want that as a head coach. I'm not saying the Charlotte Hornets are this prestigious franchise by any means. I'm just saying a lot of franchises I would choose before I would choose the Lakers right here, right now. Uh, or, well, if you're Stephen A. Smith, you know, Stephen A. Smith on on first take, I believe yesterday, called for the Lakers in a big announcement. He, like, cleared the decks, got the camera pulled in <laughs> close, cleared the decks and said, you know, I think the Lakers should trade LeBron James. So, yeah. you know, Darvin Ham might not even have to. What do you think about that? That's, yeah, that's, that's his hot take. Yeah. You know what, though? You know what? I don't think that take is hot enough. Are you about so you know to what do that it? Means. You're about to do it? I'm about to run yeah, a but Stephen wait, hold A on. take. You're, I was about to say, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. I didn't recognize the magnitude of the situation. You're right. You're mm-hmm. about to run the best hot take artist of all time through the hot take machine. This is going to be the end of human life as we know it. <laughs> well, you know, we've had a good run. Uh, <laughs> I made sure before the show uh, that it was fueled up. And if you're wondering, the hot take machine is fueled by pure capsaicin oil and <laughs> the excrement of the finest bulls that Madrid have to offer. Uh, that is the fuel that goes into the hot take machine. You have you have scooped the streets of Madrid, Barcelona, mm-hmm. everywhere, mm-hmm. and now yeah. you have fueled your hot take machine for one yeah. last go around. Yeah, in fact, it can only be done at the running of the bulls. That's the level of excrement that must be loaded into the machine for it to operate properly, okay? So the hot take machine, um, it's off camera because if I put it on camera, it will literally fry the little little chip that's inside my camera that makes it go. So it's off camera. Uh, I'm going to run Stephen A's take that that the Lakers should trade LeBron James through the hot take machine. Are you ready? Uh, Yeah, the buildup to this has been amazing, but yes, go ahead. Let's roll with it. Here we go. Okay. And there we go. The machine has done its work. (laughs) uh, Please be careful, as always. Two hands, oven mitts. All right. Yeah, okay. I I don't have an oven mitt, but I do have a uh, cloth. (laughs) That's not helping. That's not that's, helping. Yeah, anything. it's still it's still burning quite a bit. All right, it used I have to be it. white, then it turned orange. All right, I have it here in front of me. Okay. okay, not only this is what the hot take machine spit out here. Not only should the Los Angeles Lakers trade LeBron James, they should in fact trade LeBron James to the Michael Jordan-owned oh, wow. Charlotte Hornets, pairing him with okay. not four with. Lamelo Ball. I mean, Could yeah. you imagine? How did Mitch Kupchak pull that off, man? That's amazing. Well, okay, he's you know he's got an inside lane. That's the thing, Mitch Kupchak. Probably still uh, a lot of friends in that Lakers organization. It didn't end 
it didn't end like that poorly. I'm sure he's got some connects and, you know, pulling off the biggest deal of his lifetime. Why not? All right. That's there. You, there you have it. Stephen A. Smith. Anything. We ran it through the hot Walker. take machine. Yep. I know. And LeBron believe James in the hot take machine. LaMelo ball getting paired up together to play here in Charlotte. Now Darvin Ham is going to choose the Hornets organization to come there coach for. And we'll see. Well, here's uh, the thing. That's ahead. what I'll say. If the Horn- what a detour, I, by the way, just I know quickly. this is that was, wild. I mean, that was a hell of a detour, but go on. It's wild. But I will say that, you know, part of the reason I'm so reticent to go to a younger coach coaching candidate or someone that doesn't have the head coaching experience is because this team does have a core, but that core is still young and inexperienced. You know, it would be a totally different situation if this team were on the verge of playoffs but had, you know, several long-term or long-time veterans of the league that had the playoffs or the finals experience on the roster. They just don't have it on the roster. So I think you need a leader that has that kind of experience if you don't have those players on the roster. Yeah. I and So and trade look, for I, LeBron James, and then I'm fine with Darvin Ham. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, if, they, if they can pull that off, then I think everything will start to be fixed. Now, there is something else we didn't talk about yesterday that I think was broken maybe over the weekend or earlier this week, I should say. Jake Fisher, who has talked about the Charlotte Hornets before and some of the, the newsbreaker. He's got the in, he's got some kind of inside source. Uh, he does. He's been talking to the Charlotte Hornets and uh, he talked. He's the guy that had the uh, the report about James Borrego possibly, you know, being on the outs. But he actually thought he would stay with the Hornets organization. And really, that report was about Mitch Kupchak, maybe having been the GM his last go around with the Charlotte Hornets because his contract was no more. He didn't receive an extension. And really, we haven't gotten any news on that, by the way. So it looks like Mitch Kupchak is going to stay in place at this point. Right. But we just don't know for sure because it, nothing's been announced. We don't know about the contract extension. Those We don't get the details on that anyway. It's not like players' contracts where we know down to almost the damn cent where what these guys are going to make. But we just haven't received any news for Cup Check. You have to imagine he's going to stick with the team. But Jake Fisher reported earlier this week that LaMelo Ball, his camp would be interested in Mark Jackson, Doug, Mark Jackson, of course, coaching the Golden State Warriors way back when for three years. Eventually, he got fired. Steve Kerr comes in the following year, wins the championship with the Warriors. Now, there's been a lot of talk about Mark Jackson. He's been a popular name ever since he got fired to throw out there for any coaching vacancy. Hey, look what he did with Golden State. He won 50 games. He won 47 the year prior. He's the guy that kind of, if you want to say, launched the careers of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. If you want to say that, you, if you, are, want to, you can say rem- that. Remember in that post in that post game press conference, he said that I have the best shooting backcourt of all time. And, and he was right about that. And everybody doubted him. Those are some of the things about Mark Jackson. And there's a lot of other stuff. I want to get to that in a moment. I first want to get your thoughts on Mark Jackson and what you think about LaMelo, reportedly his camp being interested in him being the head coach of the Charlotte Hornets and just Mark Jackson overall. Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting. I think um, LaMelo and, and his camp are are uh, well within their right to uh, be interested <laughs> in a candidate and express that interest to the organization. I think, I think there's a serious question as to how much weight the organization should put on that decision in particular if they really feel strongly against a uh, particular name. But but I think, you know, I've said all along, the Hornets have to wake up every morning deciding 
how you know how they can keep Lamelo long term. I, I just don't know like how if, if Lamelo felt strongly about a particular candidate, I just feel like he would he would just come out and say it. Um, and and he hasn't done that, and he hasn't just seemed like the kind of player that yet that really wants to throw that kind of weight around. He seems more in the mindset of like, yeah, I, I have opinions on things, but I'm also focused on becoming the best player that I can be. And, and I, I think that's, to me, that's the right attitude to have. Now, on the Mark Jackson thing, you know, several people in the comments and on Twitter have relayed information about how, you know, Mark Jackson, and this is well reported, has, has had support from players like Steph Curry and Andre Iguodala publicly supported Mark Jackson, you know, when it happened and in the years since. But at the same time, it, coaching is more than just player relationships. It's also organizational relationships. And there are a lot of big personalities and big egos in, in this Charlotte Hornets organization. I mean, you got the greatest player of all time, Michael Jordan. You've got Mitch Kupchak, who's been doing this for quite a long time. And so finding a coach who can come in and establish those relationships and have good relationships, in my mind, is a priority if you want a stable organization and a head coach that's going to stick around and see this thing through for four, five, six six years. And I'm just not confident that Mark Jackson is that person based on the reporting out of Golden State, which obviously was biased, but they had a reason to put that reporting out. Oh, I mean, there, there are so many things on why Mark Jackson should not be the next head coach. And a lot of people will look at the 50 wins that he had and they got bounced in seven game series. It's an important number round. to me. You know <laughs> I know it is. it is. That's why I thought maybe you might be interested in Mark Jackson. There's a lot of stuff wrong with this man. And let's just go through some of the reasons there's, there is so many things about Mark Jackson, but let's just go through some of them, right? So some of the reporting Zach Lowe had this back, I believe in 2015 when Festus Azili got hurt, the center for that team, golden state, when he got hurt, Mark Jackson told the rest of the team that Azili was pulling against everyone else to make Azili look better. So he's dividing the team and the rest of the team confronted him about it. And he was in tears so, saying he would never do such a thing. Like, go so ahead. That, that's just one bullet point real quickly. Right. So you were, you're saying that he divided the team between Festus and the rest of us. That's correct. Yes, okay. he did. Festus and the rest of us. That was his slogan that year with Golden State. And then, I mean, everybody hated on James Brago's lack of accountability. You know, and here's Mark Jackson, like on a freaking broadcast saying Richard Jefferson cost him a Spurs series because he missed two free throws. <laughs> it's like, you know, so these are, so, that's one of the lighter things. There are rumors that he pushed Mike Malone out because he thought Malone was gunning for his job. In fact, there are rumors that he didn't want any assistant coach to speak to the media because he was paranoid about losing his job. He, he knows a, a mad, he has a bit of a yes. mad King vibe. Like he created this divide, not only between the team and, but he also did between the entire team and the front office, not wanting some of the decision makers like Jerry West to watch practices. Like, do you think front office execs or That's people in the higher ups actually are, are going to go about that? They're like, yeah, let's bring in Mark Jackson because you, know, you got to get along with those people. You want synergy within your organization. And here he is just creating this divide. They were and plus, like, look, man, you know, Mark Jackson also with the religious stuff, right? There's a lot of things being, oh, well, you know, we forced Golden State to go to church. Andre Iguodala squashed that, I think, you know, in that interview. And he said, yeah, we wanted to go to church because we're people of faith too. All right, that's mm -hmm. all fine. Here's where it comes into a problem, okay? 
when rumors were said that Mark Jackson said, quote, not in my locker room, when Jason Collins came out as the first active NBA player to come out um, as openly gay. Okay. So Jason Collins said that, and there were rumors about Mark Jackson saying not in my locker room. Now he denies that. So fair enough. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that, even though I don't know if it's warranted, but we do know he said this, he said, quote, I'll pray for him when Jason Collins came out. Now, how do you embrace pride night, Doug, when Mark Jackson is standing over on the sideline, praying for everybody that comes to celebrate? Like this is an inclusive NBA that Mark Jackson chooses not to embrace to the fullest. And that's a real problem. Now he denies ever publicly going about what he truly thinks in, you know, same sex relationships. But we know that he said, I'll pray for Jason Collins for a reason. And if you don't like, there's some deeply personal stuff too. I'm not going to get to because it's none of our business, but there's also some other not so important great conversation stuff. though. Yeah. Like not so great stuff about Mark Jackson. You want some more basketball stuff? Like I'll keep on fine. Dude ran a ton of ISO ball. In fact, if you go back to his last season, 2013 and 14 season, he was dead last in the league in passes per game. Dead last. And if you look at the second least team that passed, it was the Detroit Pistons who passed 15 more times a game than what Golden State did. And what does Steve Kerr come in and do? The same damn roster comes in and wins a freaking championship. Like, guys, there's so many other things I didn't even go into. Joe Lakeup, the owner, says, look, you got to fire a guy when 200 people in the organization don't like him. Maybe Andre Iguodala does. Maybe Steph Curry does. Maybe Draymond Green does. That's great. But when everybody else doesn't, outside of maybe the players, and then you have all of this other stuff going on, uh, sorry, in case you couldn't tell, no, I'm Mark Jackson. No. Not with Charlotte yeah, so Hornets, so, and it shouldn't yeah, so be in the NBA team. So you're yeah, out I'm on out. Mark Jackson. I am. Okay, yeah, I don't know if that was clear. Yes, I'm out on Mark Jackson. I think Jackson. it is now. You said it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem with Mark Jackson. <laughs> you want to move on? Let's move on, man. The answer is no on Mark Jackson. Let's I'm talk ready. about... All right, coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. That was starting to be a little bit more smooth. Uh, Coming up next, we'll talk a little more, maybe about the coaching candidates, but really we'll switch to the player capsules. Look at the forwards after we've already looked at the guards. But betonline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball, and this weekend's run to the Roses as the Kentucky Derby is back. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sport wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Bet Online, where the game starts. We'll look at some of the forwards on this team and assess how they performed last year. Coming up next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. Then I clicked on M. Thomas. I'm like, who in the hell is M. Thomas? Matt Thomas is oh, his name. Oh, NBA legend, Matty Thomas. <laughs> he play, Matt he Thomas. Play at all. I'm pretty sure Matt Thomas served me at an Applebee's the other day. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Already talked about the guards, LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier. Let's look at the forwards, and I don't think there's a better place to start than Miles Bridges here. We'll get into the individual performances and in, in, mm-hmm. as the weeks go on, but mm-hmm. Miles Bridges clearly headlines this group because of his yep. improvement. And I do think PJ Washington is someone that greatly improved, specifically on the defensive end of the floor. Kelly Oubre gave you a mixed bag this season, but Miles Bridges, he was the guy that led us all here because of how well he played. Yeah, had Miles Bridges not excelled and grown so much above 
even the team's expectations, and they were going to be biased towards a player that they drafted and, and has played for them several years, he excelled so far above that that it really overshadowed P.J., who um, did just really great work on the defensive end when you didn't have a, a lot of defense coming from the center position. He was able to uh, get in there and, and help you out a lot there. And honestly, a lot of the defense, I mean, you know, a big thing with the forward position this year is that so much of the defense had to come from the forward position because your guards were were rosier and ball. And, you know, if you look at the D LeBron stat, which a lot of people look at as, you know, a, a good balanced stat on defense, you know, they, those guards rated pretty low. And then you, you know, you complement that with Isaiah Thomas and Ishmith and it doesn't get much better. And so PJ Washington, Miles Bridges, uh, you know, Cody Martin, Jalen McDaniels, Gordon Hayward. Honestly, think if Gordon Hayward had been healthy, the team would have gotten out of the play in. They would have gotten smoked in the first round by Miami, most likely. Uh, but they would have gotten out of the play in at least because that would have given them enough defense to sustain what that attack that Atlanta put on them. Um, but unfortunately, obviously, health and issue there with Hayward and McDaniels. Yeah. So let's talk about, I guess the guys you think are going to be here with this team next year. I, I think you look at LaMelo Ball. He's the only untouchable on this team. Miles Bridges, I mean, he's not close to LaMelo in that stat, but he's probably going to be on this team. I can't imagine the Hornets don't match whatever offer sheet he's going to get from another franchise. I don't know. Like, I don't think I don't that's going to happen. It's interesting. <laughs> I think oh. it's interesting enough, though, because it's, it's all about, I think if Miles demands max money, I think the Hornets have to think really long and hard about whether they want to invest that much into Miles Bridges because while he did grow a lot this previous season, there were areas of concern. Now, if you as a team want to risk it and think, well, those areas of concern, Miles Bridges has been very vocal about how he's in the gym working on those areas of concern. I have no doubt he will. Uh, but if you're the team, I'm not spending the money, right? So I, I can easily have no doubt. <laughs> but they have to invest in 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 the money and the and the years. Uh, and if you have an opportunity as well to do a sign and trade that involves Miles Bridges, you know, I think there are a lot of interesting variables. I'm, I'm not saying if I had to bet, you know, bet online. If I had to throw a bet down, yeah, I'd probably bet on him being a Charlotte Hornet next season. But I'm saying there are enough variables that I would not put on my shocked face if Miles Bridges were not a member of the Charlotte Hornets next season. You know how mad I would be if the Hornets. Painted themselves into a corner with well, the show me your mad to face. pay Miles Bridges. Mad face. Give me your mad face. I don't even know. It's probably just my resting face. I have I have a re I have a resting <laughs> face do. of pure anger. It's the eyebrows. It's the <clears throat> it's the thickness of the eyebrow. Mm -hmm. If you want to see this, by the way, and you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, head over to YouTube, subscribe, <laughs> like, you know the deal. Tell a friend. Uh, but it's the deep, the thickness of the eyebrows, and then your mm -hmm. eyebrows angled down. In like a very yeah, in a very like cartoon mad kind of way. Like if I were to draw a cartoon of somebody that's mad, I would use your eyebrows in their resting position. Go on. Yeah, no, it, it's a resting mad face. You would see that, and maybe with a little bit more emotion behind it, if they painted themselves into the corner where their decision and their process played out to the point where they paid Gordon Hayward thirty mil, Terry Rozier twenty three twenty four, and Miles Bridges. Nope, nope. Why, why would I want to keep Miles Bridges? who has grown with this organization. Why would I want to keep him who was a somewhat MIP candidate, somewhat all-star candidate and is younger. Why, why would I want to do that? Like that would make me more angry than anything they've done. If that's how the process played out, this is how you save money. One, you don't pay him in the first place, not miles, but Terry and Gordon Two, 
you move off of those guys after you go ahead and match that offer sheet. I mean, that, that, you know, how bad, that's an awful process, Doug. I'm not saying you're, I know you're not saying it's a right process. You're just giving your opinion on what could happen with the Hornets. If that's how they allow this process to play out on top of getting rid of LaMelo's best friend, like here we are supposed to adhere to LaMelo. And I agree with that on top of them, just actually playing well on the court together. If they get rid of him because, well, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of, you know, uh, up against the wall with all of this money situation. Oh my God. Like that. I would be angry at the Hornets for that. You would be angry at Terry Rozier is who you would be angry with. And Gordon and Mitch because he did it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd be mad at all of them. <laughs> be mad at all of them. Um, I think Miles oh, Bridges is going to be pitch. on this Your team. pitch went way up yeah. on this. Pitch cup check. Your pitch, whenever you talk about hit, Mitch in this situation, it goes pitch cup check. Uh, no, man, listen, I get it. I get it. I, I'll just say like the forward position from a depth perspective, the Hornets are in a great position. They've got to figure out center they got to figure out depth-wise what they're going to do at the guard position and defensively, like perimeter defense, they are missing a lot of it. But I think that the forward position is one of the most locked-in positions for this Hornets team, and they have a lot of of different options to play with. Yeah, they do. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a vague, uh, I guess, synopsis of what we think about the forwards. Yeah, because we're going to dig around. deep. We're right. going to dig deep into these players as the as the days go on. I do have one final question on the forward position, a little – a little hot question for you because I know, you know, draft night when Miles was drafted, I think we were both a little confused at the whole process. Oh, I didn't I, like I, it. Mm-mm. Yeah, you didn't like it. I was kind of like, I don't know. I wasn't not like it, but I certainly wasn't like jumping for joy at the Miles Bridges over SGA. That was the trade, right? Shea Gilgis Alexander I mean, goes yeah, to it was, Los Angeles. It's my biggest meltdown on this podcast. It was, I, I hated it. So, my question to you now, looking back after the Miles Bridges leap this season, mm-hmm. are you, well, not are you okay with it, but do you think Miles is even above SGA at this point? No, I don't think he's above SGA. I mean, I think we've seen SGA be a stud ever since he came in this league. And I think Miles Bridges gave us one really good year where even still, like the one thing that was against SGA for the most part was his three-point shooting went way down. And Miles Bridges, it's not like he had a great three-point shooting year. You know, SGA is awesome. But I don't know if that necessarily matters all that much. Like the, the gap has been way closed on that it used to be it used to be night and day it used to be it it used to be the worst decision that Mitch Kupchak has made and that's not I mean it's not even in the same stratosphere anymore at at least it's somewhat neutral because you got Devontae Graham you turned that into a first round pick after you traded him to New Orleans Uh, I don't know if they would have drafted Devontae had they drafted SGA maybe they still do and that point is moot I don't know but the the gap is way closed I'm not calling that the worst decision cup checks made i think the gap is honestly i would put miles bridges over i think miles bridges is closer um to an all-star bid that because i think if he you know if he shoots a little better from three next season and forms a defensive identity for this team a team that may be without gordon hayward and in some kind of trade please um, mm-hmm. you know, if that happens, then he's going to have a lot more room to operate offensively and defensively. And if he does all of that, I think he's way closer than SGA in terms of getting that all-star bid. So. Uh, East probably helps that more, but yeah, I look, oh, they're a lot both of good players. players in the East. Yeah. I, I think there's, I think they're both good players. I'd still take SGA with, but I mean, miles, that's the point here. Well, I am let's trying take to it say, to the con. Let's take it to the commenters, YouTube commenters. What do you think? Yeah, uh, tell us what you think. Enough. Is Doug right? Or is Walker right? We'll find out. I'll <laughs> tell you, they, they decided 
uh, pretty vehemently that I was right about the last show. You did. Um, I yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people. It's hard to argue with fifty. You know, it's a great. <laughs> It's a great it's argument. A perfect 50. number five. Oh, you know why it's hard to argue with that? Because the people why? that were agreeing with me, most of them, I I'm going to mm. assume were around and watching when the Charlotte Hornets used to win 50 games. Like it happened. There was a point I'm in history. Guess that's not the case. You think that's our audience? <laughs> I'm going to guess that's not our audience. <laughs> that is the whole you don't thing. know. I'm going to say no. All right. Coming up next on the lockdown Hornets podcast, a part of the lockdown podcast network. Oh yeah. I was not ready for that. I one, tried right? to draw, I tried to draw a little bit more to try to give you some space. It just didn't I was work excited. out. I was excited about our audience. It's okay. I know you are. You're excited about them. Um, hopefully they're excited about this next interview that comes up with Drake Toll of Locked On Baylor. We're going to talk about Jeremy Sohan. Speaking of forwards, how would you like to have a defensive minded forward who can dribble the ball a little bit, facilitate, and maybe cover up a lot of areas this Hornets team needs to improve in. So uh, Drake Toll of Locked On Baylor going to be talking with us about Jeremy Sohan in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto with the ever increasing numbers of makes and models. It's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning? You don't have to do that anymore. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. So you don't have to choose to spend up to even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or new car dealership. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or your truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. They have an amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. Drake Toll, Locked On Baylor, going to be talking about Jeremy Sohan coming up next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. Nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold, her early leaf's a flower, but only so an hour. Mm. Then leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sank to grief, so dawn goes down to day, nothing gold can stay. We need the boys to mend with that now. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Back here on the Locked On Hornets podcast, where we're going to dabble a little bit more into the interviews regarding the NBA draft prospects. And this time we're going to talk about Jeremy Sohan. At least we think that's how we pronounce it, at least at this time. Who's going to help us? It's going to be Drake Toll of Locked On Baylor. You can follow him on Twitter at Drake C. Toll. Drake, how do we pronounce this guy's last name? Because there's many schools of thought on this, as you said. Yeah, Walker, there's effectively like six schools of thought. Uh, and it's really tough. You just kind of throw it against the wall and hope that it sticks in a press conference and he doesn't correct you, which he's probably not going to. So at this point, we're between Sohan and Sohan. I think the flair of Sohan, might, if I had to pick the way that Jeremy's going to pronounce his own name, I'm going to say Sohan. But you know what? Let's see how many times, how many ways we can pronounce it and then go from there. I, so you said there you said there are six schools of thought. Are, are one of those schools of thought so chan? Because I've that's where I landed. <laughs> <laughs> that is school of thought number six. Doug, you have to be on the the, the farthest end of the spectrum to get to so chan. That is like North Carolina, zero European culture, but that's okay. <laughs> well, that's it's yeah. also zero minutes of college basketball watched this season. I think that's the problem. 
Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, if you if you times that by, I don't know, 100, that's how many minutes of Hornets basketball I watched this there season. You go. So Perfect. we are right there on par with one another. <laughs> okay, so maybe we're going to learn a little bit more about each other's team. You can watch a lot more Hornets basketball if Jeremy Sohan, Sochan, Sohan, whoever's going to be playing for us here, maybe yes. he will be the draft pick. In an impressive season this past year, nine points per game, 25 minutes per game, uh, coming off of the bench, only started just once there with Baylor and played in 30, shot 47% from the field, uh, only shot 30% from three, but a lot of people love Jeremy Sohan for his versatility. Is that something you think is probably his biggest strength, Drake? Yeah, you know, it's it's that NBA architecture type you hear a lot of guys talk about it's not that a player necessarily was the best player on his team or the best player in college because don't get me wrong if I'm looking at who on Baylor's roster is ready for the NBA right now you know you got guys like Matthew Meyer who's been there for a few years Adam Flagler's a great guard Kendall Brown you mentioned too but Sohan has that potential the ceiling is really high for this guy and I think that's what's got him right there on those mock drafts at that 10 to 12 spot I've seen him as high as seven or eight as well so you know his stats are not going to jump off the board to you what's really interesting about him too is that coming into Baylor he didn't expect to have the role that he ended up having you had three or four injuries Jonathan Chama Chachua goes down with an injury uh, you also have one to Langston Love in the preseason as well that really just sprung Jeremy into action. I remember him saying preseason that he was going to stay at Baylor no matter what. He wanted to be here for at least two years. And then he's the sixth man off the bench for a one seed in the NCAA tournament. And now you can't pass down the millions of dollars that come up being a lottery pick. So there's a lot of upside. I know he's kind of, I would say there are plenty of areas where he's got to work on his game, but I, I like what Jeremy brings to the table. Yeah. And it looks like, you know, the one thing, not the one thing, but one of the bigger problems with him is the three point shot and just his overall jump shot. Do you feel like that can come along with his game as he improves in basketball? Or is that just something where maybe he's going to be more so kind of a Scotty Barnes, right? Maybe not to the level in which Ben Simmons turned out, but you get the point that kind of prospect coming into the NBA draft. Or do you think there is, oh, no, this this guy can certainly develop a shot from deep. I think a big part of this is vertical quickness. Uh, and that's something that I think plays into a basketball player's shot as well. And for Jeremy, he's not completely, his triggers just not fast enough to be a catch and shoot guy. I think at any point in time in his career. So I, I don't see Sohan being a vital part of the offense on the outside for any NBA team. You look at his three point percentage this past season at, at 30%. And that just wasn't his game. He was wide open. If he was going to take a three, if it was contested, he's probably passing that thing off. And and even the ones that were wide open weren't automatic. So I don't think you're going to get a three-point shooter or a shooter in general out of Jeremy Sohan at any point in time in his NBA career, maybe from the mid-range, but I don't see him developing a three-point shot. Again, maybe not as dramatic as, you know, especially early days Ben Simmons, but Sohan's a guy that you want to get inside who can make athletic plays and strong plays on the interior. And it's six foot nine. Maybe he's, he's undersized for an NBA forward, but I think that small forward spot is probably going to play him. Well, he's got to, I mean, he's 18, right? He's an 18 year old kid. And I think of the guys that are in the top 15 of this NBA draft, he's maybe the least developed from a, from a physicality. They stay like the guys still got room to grow. It feels like when you watch him play and the, that's going to come in the first couple of years in the NBA. And I think that's where he can elevate his game, but I don't think a shot is part of that. 
So Baylor obviously had a disappointing uh, tournament run. Take us through the uh, Jeremy Sohan experience in the NCAA tournament. What did you see in, in those games? Holy cow, dude. That was the explosion of Jeremy Sohan. I think that that question right there nails the reason that he is the top Baylor player on this draft board when Kendall Brown was a guy coming out of high school that a lot of people were really high on. Mock drafts, top 10 pick preseason. And then in the postseason, it was that North Carolina game that everybody points to where it felt like Jeremy just jumped off the page. People were, were tweeting it. Like, I think Dennis Rodman was trending because people were likening Jeremy Sohan to De like Dennis Rodman had nothing to do with it trending and it, mostly the haircut too. But the physicality, the level of of play that he brings to a basketball game that Scott Drew really instills in all of his players, I, I think is it goes a long way NBA wise. Uh, Royce O'Neal, for example, right? Like you look at Royce, and if you are an opposing player, you hate Royce O'Neal. You're like, gosh, dang it, this guy is just the worst. <laughs> and as someone that if I wasn't a Baylor fan, I would probably feel the exact same way. And that's what you get in Jeremy Sohan. You're like, I, I don't want to play against this guy because he's just hard-nosed, tough. And he showed that against North Carolina. He showed that, I mean, it was a short run, so I guess against Norfolk State. But that UNC game won him 500000 or more dollars because his draft stock, he, he became someone who was on the map of these NBA mock drafts more so than anybody else in this Baylor team. See, I mean, you've been watching. I'm going to go Sohan. You went Sohan. I'm going to go Sohan. We'll balance yeah, it out. One of us will be right. So on on Sohan, you you've watched him particularly closely as the host of the Locked On Baylor podcast, and that's what this network is all about. It's about local, that local angle, the local depth. So even even someone that did watch one or more minutes of college basketball, unlike me, but someone that did watch college basketball, maybe they know a little bit about Sohan, but they, what's one thing that, that you wouldn't know unless you really paid close attention to his story, his recruiting journey, and, and his time at Baylor? Dude, I love that question because there's so many. This guy continually in the middle of the season, you'd be like, what? You would learn something new that you're just completely confused about. He was born in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma and has the thickest mixture of a Polish and English accent. Like, you, you don't think Oklahoma, ah, he's probably going to sound Polish. And then he sits at the podium and you're like, holy crap. That's the coolest accent I've ever heard in my entire life. And he's just got this, this way about him that is so, I don't want to say naive necessarily, but like this tender heartedness that yeah. is probably going to go away within the first year of being in the NBA. Uh, but he's got this personality that is infectious. Like you can't help but love the guy off the floor. That's why. I was getting weirdly defensive during the NCAA tournament when everyone was tweeting like, this guy's a punk. I wanted to respond individually to all of them and be like, no, I know him. He is not a punk. <laughs> he is a nice young man. You wanted to do this. You wanted to do this, Stephen A. Smith. I know him personally. Yeah. That <laughs> He's was a good my, friend of mine. <laughs> I was going to put out a video and everything and like public service announcement, have like a, you know, something really dramatic. But that that's what you get is just I, in the time that I spent around, I was like, I love this guy so much. Uh, so certainly is a, not to like a Jimmer for that level where you're like, this guy's mascot. He's not that, but he's got this element to him where you're just drawn to a player. Uh, and he brings that out really well. I don't, man, I'll tell you on, on the floor wise, he's not a, a takeover guy. Uh, we saw him do it a few times at Baylor. I don't think he has the, the, again, the vertical speed, the uh, the the lateral quick, I, I just it, all of it put together. He just doesn't have that. Put the basketball in his hands, go score fifteen in a row to bring a team back. But 
off the floor, he's going to bring you an unbelievable personality. On the floor, he's going to bring toughness and hard work. Um, he's he's just, I don't know. I wish I could put it into words. He's like a hug becomes a basketball, embodies a basketball player, okay. but in the best way possible. And well, see, I, that's, I that's as close as I'm going to get. I don't think that, I don't know if that could be a worse way possible. A hug is not a bad thing. I know you love a good that. hug. And in fact, I, in fact, I think the best way to illustrate how much you love Jeremy Sohan is the fact that you're up at 9.30 a.m. Central Time as a college student Dude, during right. Riles what, what, Week. Wait, yeah, was that well, a bang on, energy drink that I just yeah, saw? Hold on. What, like, did you, what, did you just, what did you just yeah. ingest there? Yes, I start, right. I start yes. every day just <laughs> like this. This yeah. is my daily routine right <laughs> Hey, same. Drake, I, oh. I am a fiend for the bang energy drinks. It is like a shot straight to the face, and I can completely understand why you're taking that and to give us some nice, uh, great information on Jeremy. This so, is, by the way, this is not this is not an endorsement. That is, that is frying <laughs> your inside. That is it's melting. A, it's a nap in a can. You can't. Yeah, it's a so nap weird. in a can. It's like a hug in a can. It, it's it a hug, me. but like a like a slap hug. Like yeah. a, I just slapped you. Now here's a hug to call yeah. you, or more like a slap. Um, Drake, good luck during finals week, man. All the praise <sighs> to you. Appreciate you hopping on with us to talk about your boy Jeremy Sohan here on the Locked On Hornets podcast, dude. That luck, I need it. And if he's still available when the Hornets come up, they got to take this guy because he's going to make an impact to whatever NBA team he goes to on and off the floor. Yeah, and we get a chance to talk again, and hopefully we can do so not at nine thirty a.m. Central Time. That's hey. Drake Toll. Go follow him on Twitter to find out more information about Baylor and maybe even some Sohan tweets. He might come at you if you call him a punk. So if you don't do that, you should be all good. Follow him on Twitter at Drake C. Toll. Appreciate Drake and appreciate you guys for listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast.